begin reading in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 15. A couple of years ago, Alvin Prophet, he's sitting right there in the middle at the aisle, and uh, he shared something with me that uh, stuck with me. And many of you know his dad was a pastor and served a number of churches. I know some of them were in the Bedford, uh, Virginia area, at least one of them I know was, and two actually. But he shared with me that his dad said about preaching this. He said, many people may not remember what you preached last Sunday, but they also may not remember what they ate yesterday for dinner, but it nourished them. <laughs> that was a blessing. And that's the nature of the preached word of God. It works beneath. We don't always see it. Uh, but God's word, it may be that uh, we hear that word and sometime, maybe months later, it'll come back to us. Uh, I hope you remember some of what I've preached. Don't worry. If I stand in the back, there won't be a quiz. I'll just be shaking your hand today. I was thinking this past week, I do remember a message that I preached. You say, well, that's good if you remember what you preached. There's a message this past Mother's Day. It was out of Proverbs 14, verses 27 through 31. And it was this. What can mothers or parents, or for that sake, grandparents, what can and should they pray for their children? And there were four things out of Proverbs 14, verses 27 through uh, 31. You can pray that he or she first would fear the Lord. And I'm not talking about trepidation. I'm talking about having awe-inspiring uh, knowledge and understanding of God. Secondly, that he or she would find faithful friends, faithful friends. Third, that he or she would live a peaceful life. And then fourth, that he or she would be a generous person. Those are great things that we can pray for our children. But as I was preparing for the message this week, I began to think, what are some other things for which we can pray for our children, or for that matter, fellow church members, or even uh, for ourselves? Paul doesn't leave us in the dark about that, because in verses 15 through 23, after giving thanks to God for his readers, he begins to come forth in prayer for the Ephesian readers. Look with me at Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 23. Paul says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Verse 20, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word today, 
We thank you, Lord, for Paul's heart for uh, the readers of this letter. We thank you, Lord, for the instruction we get from it. And Father, uh, as we consider our own lives, the things that we might pray for ourselves, that we might pray for our family, speak to us in this hour. And Lord, if there be any who have not identified with you by placing their faith in you, we pray today would be the day of salvation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The context this morning is this. We're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians and actually will uh, be in this book into 2023. But Paul's emphasis to this point in the letter uh, really is the blessing of being a follower of Christ. There's a, a blessing. In fact, there are many blessings, and these blessings are issued forth to us because of the grace of God. We might simply say that, that Paul is saying in the first chapter, by the grace of God, you, follower of God, are truly blessed. And, and as we'll see today, there are blessings that may be beyond even that which we would consider on the surface. And so last week, you remember, we talked about what it means to be in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own, not according to the law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw the blessings that are in him. We see uh, those two words, in him, repeated like four or five times in the previous five verses before our text today. Well, today we move, and Paul is continually talking about the blessings, the resources of Christian life, and, and after giving gratitude for the Ephesian readers, he follows by offering uh, a manifold prayer for them. I want to look today uh, first at the thanks that he gives, and then uh, the aspects of prayer uh, that he had, what he desired the church of Ephesus would possess. First this morning, though, we see in verses in 15 and 16 uh, that Paul gives thanks to the Lord for the Ephesians' progress in faith. And so he offers God thanks for what he already sees in the church. Now, we mentioned Paul did not start the church at Ephesus. He was not the father of that church uh, but he did spend much time with the church there, almost three years or right around three years. And so he had a heart for them. And, and as a result of that relationship he had with them, he begins by giving thanks for what God has done in their life. And what a place to begin. You know, we're entering the time of year in our nation when we're reminded to give thanks. That we're to stop and give thanks for the blessings. But thanksgiving should really be a part of our lives continually. I laughed at the story of a little boy who went to visit one of his friends and they played uh, with toys in the afternoon and then there was dinner time. And when dinner time arrived, the little boy and the family he was visiting, they all sat at the table and everybody in the home began to dig in except the little boy. They noticed that he wasn't eating and so they said, is everything all right? Do you not have an appetite? He said, well, in my home, we always stop and give thanks to God before we eat. And the, the people were, were, were really taken aback and they were concerned. They said, we're, we're sorry if we've offended you. We didn't mean to do that. And the little boy said, that's okay, our dog at home does just what y'all are doing. 
You know, we need to be reminded to give thanks. You know, there are many things that we can give thanks to God. It may be a voice that we hear that we haven't heard in a while. It may be a material blessing. It may be food, shelter, health, multiple things. But Paul here is very specific about one thing. He was grateful for many things, but in this particular book of the Bible and in this particular portion we're studying today, he was thankful for people, specifically fellow believers. And so he stops and he thinks about them, and every time he stops to think about them, he gives thanks. And it says that he was thankful really for two things. He said, ever since I've heard about your what? faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. He was thankful that they were now people of faith, that they had moved from not having faith to having faith, from moving from spiritual death to spiritual life and moving from being at enmity against God to actually loving fellow believers. And so he was grateful because he had labored among them and he felt the blessing of the benefit of their growth. Now, there's one common theme in these last few weeks that I have noticed as I've talked to people, a frustration with the leaves that are falling. I talk to people and they say, the leaves are falling. I've been, you know, I've got to get home. I'm working on my leaves. And then you see the next two days and the same number of leaves are there. And it feels like all of the labor was for naught. Paul here had something that he could look at and he wasn't frustrated. He could look at his labor and he said, you're a blessing to me. I give thanks because when I look at the labor that I had among you, it was not unfruitful. And so as we're in this season of the year, the question I have is, are you thankful for the people in your life? And very specifically, are you thankful for the believers in your life who provide spiritual encouragement to you? They may be those who have invested in you, who have been mentors or disciplers, or there may, they may be those you yourself have invested in who are bringing a return of the Lord. Their faith is in God. They're loving others. Sunday school teachers, are you grateful that people show up to your class? Are you grateful that they're willing to learn and to grow? And so before Paul issues forth his prayerful desire for the church. He wanted to give God, and he reminded them that when he thought of them, he gave thanks to God uh, for them. But then beginning in verse 17, Paul offers really a threefold prayer for those who received the letter. And we see in verses 17 through 19 this threefold prayer, and then in verses 20 through 23, he talks about Christ, and it really builds upon what he's talking about in, in verse 19. You know, last week, as I talked about working in elections, and when I first began, you may remember I talked about uh, the humility of not understanding the acronyms, what they stand for, and uh, EB and GR and FOIA and all of those things. Uh, and then here I am this week, I'm going to give you an acronym. So you say, now you, the thing you don't want, Pastor, that's what you're giving to us. But when we think about prayer, one way to 
think about prayer is using the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, just like the book in the Bible or multiple acts of kindness. A is adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. And so if we're thinking, God, how, how do I pray? Well, first, you pray in conversation to God. I can't tell you a method, but I can say in general, these four things should be included in the prayer life. Adoration, an appreciation of who God is, the one to whom we're talking. Confession, God, forgive me for my sins specifically. I confess you as the Lord, and I am not. Uh, T for thanksgiving thankful for what God has done, and supplication is really twofold. Supplication means God provide. It's a petition. God supply for me. God supply in intercessory prayer for someone else. So as we look at, at Paul's prayer here, two of these four integral aspects of prayer are included. The first we've already seen, thanksgiving. He stops and says, when I remember you, when I hear about your faith, I never stop giving thanks. It didn't mean he prayed 24 hours a day uh, about giving thanks about just this one church, but what it meant was a continual attitude of, of, of gratitude for what God was doing in their lives. But then he moves on to this second aspect, which is supplication. It's not that he doesn't have adoration in his prayers. We know that other parts of scripture where we see that. Um, it's not that confession isn't a part. You know, he says elsewhere, I'm the utmost of sinners. But in this particular context, speaking of the church, he says, I'm grateful for you, but I'm also praying for you. I'm asking God to supply what you need. And so he prays these things for his readers. I want to look at at the three things that he prays, and they're in consecutive verses. First, we see what he prays for in verse 17, then what he prays for in verse 18, and then what he prays for in verse 19, which is really fulfilled in verses 20 through 23. But the first thing in verse 17, he prays that they would know God more fully. Is that the desire of your heart? None of us has arrived, not one of us. Every one of us is growing in our knowledge of God. Paul was giving thanks for their faith in God and the evidence of their growth and love, but he didn't just say, well, that's okay, that's sufficient, you're okay, I'm going to move on. No, he prayed that they would come to know him more and more. You know, a person can know something, and then someone can know something. I can know facts about something. I can know things theoretically. I can know them from a book, but that doesn't mean that I know those things experientially. There, now there are things in the book, God's holy word, we need to know. In fact, we see some of that in verses 20 through 23 as one of a, a great passage about who Christ is and, and, and what he has done and will do. And so it's important to know that. But it's also important that we take that knowledge and apply it. John was teaching in our Sunday school lesson today, and he opened up the, uh, with, with an illustration that said, uh, you know, with insurance companies, if you were in the class, you know where I'm going with it. But the fact that, that insurance companies invest in you being able to go to rehab because they know it's one thing to know the exercises you have. It's another thing to have someone there making sure you do those things. And so it's one thing to know, it's another thing to apply. 
And the truth of the Christian life is this. When you apply the knowledge that you have, and it speaks about knowledge in the heart, then God begins to reveal more and more of himself. The readers knew God. They placed their faith in God. They were loving one another. But the journey was not over. They had not arrived. And there are a couple of things that Paul notes that was true for his original readers and that's true for us if we're going to truly know God. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom. In this one verse, we see God the Father, uh, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, all three. But notice what he says, would give you the spirit of wisdom. Now, there are a number of reasons that God gives us the spirit. When a person is saved, that individual receives forgiveness of sin and the presence of the spirit. But what he's really praying for there is a more full manifestation of the spirit, that we would be filled with the spirit. And when we're filled with the spirit, one of the things the spirit does is he teaches us the mind of God, that we would know God. And so God's spirit will will move in our heart and say, uh, Rick, that is a sin that you need to deal with and you need to clear that out to know God. God's spirit will come to me and say, Rick, you need to, in a positive way, go share this word of witness. And when you go share that word of witness and obedience, then God begins to reveal more and more of his will. And so it's the spirit who gives knowledge. Jesus himself said, he, the spirit, will bring to remembrance what I've said. Jesus said that even though he would go, he would leave one who would do that. And so the spirit is the one who gives knowledge. And then along with that, notice what it says in in verse 15, uh, or rather verse 17, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit is the one who gives knowledge and that knowledge is revealed to us. It is open to us by God. Have you ever thought about uh, the religious leaders in Jesus' day? We're getting ready to celebrate Jesus' first advent in Bethlehem. And you can remember the Magi came and those people could theoretically uh, say where the Christ was going to be born and he was right under their nose and the religious leaders couldn't, couldn't uh, follow it because they knew about the things, but they had not been revealed. The, the darkness of their heart, the sin in their heart kept them from doing so. Now, Isaiah 6, 9 says, seeing one can't see and hearing one can't hear. When Jesus would share a parable, there would be certain individuals that would understand those parables and to the others it would be like Greek would be to us. So Paul understood that his readers needed to know God more fully and that knowledge comes through the work of the Spirit by the grace of God by his revealing Himself, But I want you to see a second thing. Paul didn't just pray that they would know God more fully, but he prayed that they would know their future more fully. You know, worry is a difficult thing. I struggle with it sometimes. But imagine you were concerned about something, and before that thing happened, you had the full confidence that it all was going to work out. You would stop worrying. If you knew ahead of time, it was going to work out perfectly with no stress. Well, if you're a Christian, 
let me tell you this. I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but I tell you this. It's going to work out great in the end. Paul understood that for the Ephesians and for us, there'll be challenges. There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be difficult parts of the journey. There are going to be unexpected illnesses. There are going to be relationships that are severed. There are going to be children that disappoint parents, parents that disappoint children. There are going to be all types of hardship. There would be discouragement. There will be attacks from Satan. And sometimes when you're walking with the Lord most sincerely, that's when the devil tries to throw the most at you. And Paul knew all of these things would come. And so he wasn't only praying that they would know God more fully, but his prayer was, let them know, Father, it's going to all be great in the end. Look at what he says in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart, church, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, might be quickened, might be awakened so that you may know, notice what it says, what is the hope? Hope is that which is in the future. What is the hope of the calling? What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What awaits you in your great inheritance? Paul wanted them to see their bright future. We've been studying the Old Testament kings on Wednesday evening, and I, I wish we could study the specific lives of the prophets of that time more in depth, but really we're focusing on the kings. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is the Old Testament prophet Elisha, E-L-I-S-H-A, not E-L-I-J-A-H. Elisha was a great prophet of God. A lot of miracles happened in Elisha's life. Do you know that uh, when, when Elisha was buried, uh, they put him in the ground, and after him there was a battle, and somebody threw the bones of uh, the body of the man, and when it touched Elisha's bones, that man rose up. I don't know about you. If I saw that, I'd say, whoa, man, what's going on here? Elisha did a lot of miracles in his life. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and a small group of men, they were being invaded by a large army from Aram. And the Aramean king was threatening them. And one of Elisha's servants came to him and said, Elisha, what are we to do? In other words, we're without hope. Elisha responded, don't be afraid. Those with us are more than they with them. He was speaking of a heavenly angelic army, not seen by those men, but Elisha prayed that he, the Lord, would open the eyes of the people, and their eyes were open, and they saw the hope that was there. And in a very interesting turn of events, Shortly thereafter, God blinded the Aramean army, and they did not threaten Elisha or the men. Paul is almost in the spirit of Elisha, not in a, a physical battle, but with the church here, he can see the future, and he, he's saying, I pray that you will see the reality of your future. You know, too many times as Christians, we walk around, and I say we because I can be guilty of it, with stresses, we walk around moping, and, and it's not good advertisement for the Lord. We need to be living, understanding that we're on the victorious side, 
We need to see what Paul is saying here, the hope that awaits us, the hope of his calling, the wealth of his inheritance, that God would open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts. And we may not know much what we're going to go through between now and then, but if we're in Christ, our future is glorious. May God allow us to see that, especially in difficulty. But then I want you to see a third thing he prayed. Paul prayed that they would know the present power at their disposal. First he said, Lord, my prayer here for you, church, is that you would know God more fully. My prayer is that you would know that you have a bright future. But then in the present, look at what he says in verse 19. And the prayer would be that what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. In other words, he's basically saying to the church there, I want you to know not just that you have a glorious future, but I want you to know what you have access to now, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, you know, I, I have this uh, phone that is amusing and embarrassing to a lot of people. I think this may be the oldest phone in the building. It's a flip phone. Um, it can't do a lot of things. You know, my wife was amazed the other day at how fast I can text. And I can remember 20-some years ago, I think it was Matthew Singer, had, when he was working with some youth one time, had a, contact, uh, or had a contest for how quick people could text. You don't have to worry. The phones will do stuff for you. You know, I was with Alan the other day. We were out here in the parking lot, and he was saying, call, whatever, and it just texted it right off. But I still have the old school phone. But, you know, you may frown at me, and I'll be honest. When I drop this thing, I'm embarrassed for two reasons. Usually the battery falls out, and I'm scrambling. The second is, if I'm in public and somebody sees, they immediately think, this is a dummy. He's not with the times. But even more crazy than having an old phone is having the nicest new phone, but all you do with it is call somebody and text. Think about it. I know people like that. And you know what I think? And it's probably not a spiritual thought, but I think... <laughs> I have this thing right here. It's a lot cheaper. And what you're doing, you can do with this. Paul is saying to the church here, I want you to see all of the access that you have. Not just that you've received the forgiveness of sin. I want you to see that the very power of God dwells in you if you will allow him to work. Notice what he says there again, verse 18. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, and then in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? In other words, I don't want you, he says, to live below your means. Live in the fullness of that power. And then he goes on in verses 20 through 23 to point to Jesus. There is no one or nothing you and I can do better for anything than to point them to Jesus. 
And that's exactly what he does. When he talks about the power, it's not just some nebulous thing that's out there. He's pointing very specifically to the power manifest in the, G in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he points to our great Savior. Paul didn't say, hey, I know you're going to go through tough times, but I've got these four steps you need to follow. I, I, I want you to know there's a strategy here to success. He didn't give a formula. He gave Jesus. He immediately begins to go into this great Christological, Christ-centered portion in verse 20, and he, and, and he says, He, the Father, exercised this power in Christ from raising him from the dead. In other words, the power that is in you and me is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul said that in Philippians. Remember, he says, I want to know Christ and what? The power of his resurrection. But notice he, he doesn't just stop in that in him is power, but also in him is authority. He is far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In other words, he's got the power, the physical, the spiritual power, but he also has the authority. It's very amazing, especially in a God-honoring society, that if someone wears that badge, he can be five foot one inches tall and he can be 80 pounds, but that badge will give an authority. And the scripture says that Jesus not only has the power, but he has the authority. And the scripture says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. So what he is saying is I want you to know that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is in you. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is in you. The scripture says that he's at the right hand of the Father, which is the position of authority. But I want you to see a final thing. In him is the headship of the church. To whom was he writing? He wasn't writing to unbelievers. He was writing to a church. And what he is saying is this. He subjected, verse 22, everything under his feet of all times in the past, verse 21, and in the future. But then he said, and he's appointed him head over everything for the church. Who's the head? Not the pastor, not the deacons, not the majority. The, the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. What is he saying to the church there? No matter what you go through, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and it will stand. It will stand. Well, what does that say to us? Just as our body needs to connect to the head, so we need to connect to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to have the power to move my left hand, there must not be something hindering my connection there. But not only do I need uh, that, the, that working for the instruction of what to do, but the very power to do it. And so it's not just that God instructs us what to do and sets us out on our way, but as the head, he instructs us, and then he says, and by the way, you can't do it apart from me. That's what he teaches in John 15. And so as the head of the church, we're the body of Christ. We're, we're to carry out the ministry of Christ, but we do it only in his direction and in his power. So what does all of this say to us as the church? For what are we to pray? My prayer for me personally, for my children, for my fellow believers should be this. 
that I would know God more fully, that that one would know God more fully, that we would understand no matter what we go through now that our future is a bright future, that, that no matter what we have to go through, where we're heading is a glorious future that we would also know not just in the past that we've experienced the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that we would recognize in the present we have a power, a power in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same authority that Jesus has, and that we would stay connected with him. I wonder today... Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because as I said, Paul wasn't into giving a strategy, five steps to do this. Everything that Paul was focusing on was Christ. Preach Christ. In Christ. Today, maybe you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important decision you can make right now is to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've tried to run my own life. And I'm not finding fulfillment in it. There's more to life, Lord. I believe it. And I believe Jesus died for me, rose again, and he is the authority over this earth. Lord Jesus, be authority in my life. Would you pray that today? Would you be in him today, believing in him? Maybe you've done that. But you've not been a great advertisement for the Lord. You, you've not been living uh, with that confident hope. You've not been living in the present power of the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord Jesus Christ working in and through you. And, and your resolve today may be, Lord, as we enter this season of Thanksgiving and this Christmas season, I resolve now to know you more fully, to, to focus on the future hope that I have, to seek to allow your power to work in and through me. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, Lord, you have the words of life. We thank you for this prayer that Paul had for the church, and it's a prayer for us. It's a prayer each one of us should offer for ourselves and our loved ones. Lord, if there be any here today who have not trusted you, give them the strength, the boldness to step out and say, my life isn't right. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Father, there may be some here today who have done that, but honestly would say, I've not been living in the fullness of that power. I've not been living with the right focus toward the future. I've not been living with the desire to know God more fully. But Lord, I thank you that you see us where you are and that, Lord, you move. And so we pray you do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to